You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. All right. Well, here we go. Now we're here at number two. We're going to do part two of the Beautiful Design series today. So if you guys did not get a chance to listen to part one, where I just kind of gave an introduction of what the Beautiful Design series is all about, why I'm doing this, and just really my heart behind it, I'm actually going to ask you to pause. Just go ahead and hit that little pause button and go back and listen to part one. Listen to the first one first, the introduction before you go. I'm not normally a bear for making sure you catch all podcasts in order and all that kind of stuff. But for whatever reason, as I have prayed through this podcast, I've really felt like the Lord is putting these out in sort of an an, an order for us to kind of build upon. So I think it's important that we actually take some of this in order, if you will. So for this second part of our series, I want us to look at something that is really foundational, really for the rest of this series, and that is at the Bible itself, and specifically the authority that the scriptures have. This could not be more crucial because what you believe about the Bible, it's just huge. It's going to change everything. Depending on what you believe about the 66 books that make up the entirety of scripture, the Bible you hold in your hands, that's going to determine what you will think and how you will live. And it certainly is going to determine what you're going to do with the rest of this series. If we don't get this particular piece right now, there's nothing to build upon. There's no sense of anchor or authority on why any of this would make any sense to us at all. So we really need to start with this piece. I firmly believe that the Bible that we hold is the inerrant infallible, inspired word of God. And I'll break down what we mean by those terms here in a sec. But as such, as such, the word of God being the inerrant inspired word of God, it has to have absolute authority over my life. It's the say. It's got, it is the boss of me for sure. So y'all are going to see just how far I'm going to take this as we continue through this series. Do we need to even define the word authority? Probably not, I guess. But you know how I love to get to our dictionary and define our terms. It's always so important to know what we mean when we say things. So the authority means in the old dictionary, a legal power or a right to command or to act, meaning it's something that has the authority as in given the example of like a prince over subjects or the Webster one actually even adds of parents over their children. That's kind of interesting one. I'm pretty sure that one is not going to make it into our modern dictionary for sure. I When I looked at our modern dictionary, I actually half expected the word authority to not even be there. I'm kidding, sort of. But we really do struggle with something or someone being the boss of us, having a say over us. But it actually was there. And in our modern dictionary, it says it's the power to determine, adjudicate, or otherwise settle issues or disputes, the right to control, command, or determine. Okay. So not too confusing. We understand what authority is. We understand that if somebody has authority over us, then we are going to submit. We're going to surrender to what that person, or in this case, as we're talking about the scriptures, what it says. And we're not going to, we're not going to argue with it. It has authority. So the question that we're going to come to today is what or who is the boss of us? Where do we recognize authority or do we or do we struggle with this one? Are you already kind of are your feathers a little ruffled already, even just at the word authority? Like I said, not trying to be offensive, but let's let's pause on that. And why are we bothered by certain things? Because see, throughout this series, we're going to tackle some controversial topics and I'm going to continue to point back to 
this is what the Bible says. You're going to hear me say that all the time. This is what the Bible says. We're going to look at specific passages. This is what it says here. This is what it says in 2 Timothy. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians. And if what the Bible says does not have any authority on your life, then truly, I I mean, I invite you and I really actually implore you to keep listening. But I recognize that for those that may be listening that deny that, that God's word has authority on their life, they have replaced it with a different authority. Because everyone has authority. We all have an authority, whether we want to call it that or not, but every, everyone has a boss, if you want to say it that way, okay? But there, there's an authority. We really do. Someone is calling the shots for you. So before you push back on that too much, I mean, just think about this. When it comes to those that perhaps deny Scripture as their authority, what I'm going to suggest then their authority is, is themselves. It's you. You are the boss of you in that case, your own intellect, your own understanding. And I'm I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be harsh, but if your brain has reasoned that God's word is not worthy of the authority that it itself claims it to have, then you have given your own reason, your own logic and intellect, or whoever the person may be that has led you to believe falsely about scripture, you're giving that greater authority than God's word. But there, there still is authority. Somebody is, is saying this is true or this is not true. It's either you and your own intellect or maybe people that have led you to believe in that direction that you're submitting to what they say, or you're going to, in this case, what we're going to talk about is actually looking at how scripture should have the authority of us. For me, I'll confess that this one is real easy for me. And this isn't because I just think I don't struggle with stuff or whatever. Nope, no, no, that's not it. I think it's maybe because I don't have real high hopes for my own intellect or understanding. And it kind of just, I'm not being falsely saying I'm not smart. No, the Lord gave me a brain and I'm going to use it. But it just doesn't bother me to even say, I don't really get it, you know. But if there's something that I read in scripture that maybe my brain's like, huh, I don't know. I don't know if I understand that. For me to come to the conclusion when I've read something that might be a tough passage and to say, I don't really get that. But if God's word says it, I'm good. I'm really good with that. Now, please don't paint some idealized picture of me that, you know, I just don't struggle. Like I said, clearly, yes, lots of struggles. There's lots of things that I struggle to willingly lay down my own thing. No, I have just as many struggles with things like that as you guys do. I wish it were the case that I just never had any problems with uh, laying down what I want in a, a situation. And as we go through this, I will probably share at times things that I've wrestled with as I have tried to work through these passages as well. But I think the reason that I can say today, meaning here in our brand new year of 2022, that this one is an quote unquote easy one for me is partly what I shared last time when I was talking about the confidence in a good, good God. And the longer I walk with him, the better I realize all that he is the more aware I become of how lost and completely undone I would be without him and his word. So to say that I choose to be submitted to the authority of God's word in my mind kind of feels like the biggest no duh ever. You know, I just don't want me in charge of me. I really don't. I don't don't want me in charge of you. I don't want me in charge of anything. I don't want me in charge. I want to be submitted to a good, good God. The other reason I think that this one I think is just more fun to talk about and I, I I don't struggle with this one as much is because we're told to have a healthy fear of the God whose words are written here. You know, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And that's not the like, I'm scared of God kind of fear. It's not that. It doesn't put in me some kind of sense of dread or anything. But it gives us great weight to the words that are in our Bibles. Isaiah 66, 2, I love this. It says, God delights in everyone who trembles at his word. And again, that's, that's not a scary word to me, but it really makes me pause and go, oh, man, am I giving weight to the words that are here? We're going to look a lot uh, at a lot of scripture in this episode today. And by the way, I just want to add a little bit of a disclaimer here on this. I, I have mentioned this probably before, but I need to say it. I am not a scholar, okay? I'm a learner. Hopefully, just like you guys, that you're just learning and choosing to grow in the word and, and, and learn more about these. But I'm not some Hebrew scholar. The fancy title for this discussion that we're going to have is The Doctrine of the Word of God. And here's what I will tell you is I would invite you and encourage you strongly that if you have hangups on this, please do your homework. I'm going to give you a couple of different references, and then I'll also make sure I put these in the show notes for this episode. There's some books that are really helpful. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology is really good on this. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, I think, is really good, on all, especially because we're going to kind of dig into a little bit of the issues with the reliability of Scripture and that kind of stuff. Pastor Brett has done some really good teachings on this, and it's kind of funny. It, to be fair, Pastor Brett kind of weaves all of this almost into every sermon, I think, because scripture just is so important. But I'm going to link to two sermons that he did. One was in Jeremiah 36, just this last year, and, and one is an older one. But both both are really good on this topic. So I would invite you to go and listen to those as well as you want to dig in deeper on this stuff. But I'm always going to remind you to go back to the Word itself. Study the claims that the Bible makes of itself. But do so asking the Spirit to teach you and show you, just like we talked about last week. Be in prayer about these things, asking for the mind of Christ. But go to the Word itself. It's really important to do that. I mentioned at the beginning of this that I believe that the Bible we have, all 66 books, are the inerrant and inspired Word of God. So what do, what do we mean by that? So first, the word inerrant. It's meaning without error in its original manuscripts. Now, so much can be and truly is said on this topic, and I won't get into the scholarly weeds too much, but, okay, was that like a telling you guys, oh, shoot, now I am going to go there? <laughs> but not too much, but I do think it's important that we look at the Word of God as our authority and understand some of this. Again, I'm going to refer you back to the actual brains on this if you want to dive in further. But the work done on when, they, when they're examining Scripture itself as being reliable, the work done on it is called textual criticism, and it examines that the original manuscripts looks at all of those. It's a complete study on it. And guys, the work on it is unbelievable. I mean, really. One of the fun facts that I think is amazing is how many ancient manuscripts that we have to look at of our Bible that we have. In Evidence That Demands a Verdict that I was mentioning earlier, he says this, that in all of the ancient manuscripts that we have in, in various languages, so we're talking all languages, not just the Greek or the Hebrew, but in all languages, we have more than 25,000 manuscript copies or portions of the New Testament in existence today. There's 5,366 just in the Greek language. So maybe you're thinking, oh, well, I'm sure we have lots and lots of copies of other documents from antiquity. No other document, guys, it doesn't even come close to that number of manuscripts that we have. The next one that's even clo the closest is Homer's Iliad. It's the second one. And we have 643 manuscripts of that that survive today. 643, okay? 25,000 in all the languages, 
of the Bible, 5,366 just in the Greek. And then the, the next closest has 643. Another historian, Herodotus, that we refer to a lot, he was an ancient historian. There's eight copies of his stuff, guys. Eight. Plato, there's seven. Seven copies. We also know that the manuscripts that were written, that we have of, a, of the New Testament, were written much closer to the events than the other ancient works that I've just mentioned. With some of the New Testament copies that we have, they're from as recent as even like 50 years, some of them as much as two, 225, but they're relatively close. When you look at like Herodotus, well, let's see, first Homer, his was about 400 years. Herodotus was uh, 1350, 1350 years later. Plato those manuscript copies that they have are 1,300 years later. I mean, the accuracy of something that is written that is closer to the event of something is something that is good evidence for what it is. So I'm hinting at a bunch of things, and I know some of this just gets a little nerdy and people don't care about the stuff. But the reason I'm going into it is because it's funny to me that no one's going around saying that, well, you know, the Iliad, it probably wasn't written by Homer, you know. Or Plato, he probably never even existed. Or Herodotus, do we even really know that he said that? You know, I mean, nobody says those things. They take these ancient manuscripts and these ancient peoples and they go, yep, this is what it is. Nobody's doubting the words that were written there. And we have far less evidence and reliable copies and all of that stuff. But yet nobody doubts their authenticity or their reliability in the slightest. So we have lots of evidence for the Bible we have. But now let's go back to inerrant. So many copies, people say, well, there must be so many mistakes, right? There's got to be, you know, because how they didn't exactly have a, they didn't have a, you didn't take a picture with your phone or you didn't have a fax machine or a copy machine back then. Did I just date myself by saying fax machine? Well, they were a thing. But anyway, you had to actually handwrite out. Like that's how copies of manuscripts were made. That's how the, it was passed along. They would actually handwrite them out. So you would think, well, then with that many manuscripts, there's got to be a lot of errors just by men making errors. They call those variants. And yeah, there are. There's a lot of variants. Meaning as you compare one text to another, there's slight little errors or changes. You know, it could be a grammar error. It could be like a spelling error. And I don't even necessarily mean error, more like there's just differences between the two. And this one is really tossed around a lot. I heard this recently where a person, it was, it was in a classroom setting, and he was saying that, yeah, the Bible's inspired, but due to the mistakes of men, we know that there's errors and we just have errors over time. And he kind of left it there. Do you hear what he, what that does right there? Having that idea of like, yeah, there's probably just errors that are made over time. It, it can really sow seeds to cause you to doubt that, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe this verse or passage that I'm kind of struggling with, maybe it's really not correct. Maybe there was just an error here and this isn't really what was intended. That's why I'm actually spending a little bit of time to just talk to you about, yeah, kind of some nerd stuff. But when people try to sow doubt and sow seeds of doubt of, of saying like, well, this isn't really accurate, you need to hang on. Because just like I mentioned, yep, lots of manuscripts. And yes, there were lots of people that copied them. But this really should not freak you out. Wayne Grudem, the uh, theologian that I referenced earlier in Systematic Theology, he defines inerrancy as that scripture is in the original manuscript does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So translation, what that means is it's true, all of it. And not even a copy error changes that. So an example I think of of this is say, if I say to you, I live in Oregon, 
But if you were actually reading the words that I'm saying, you wouldn't know that I actually spelled it Oregon as in O-R-E-G-U-N, which is actually kind of funny because some people say Oregon, Oregon. It is Oregon spelled with an O at the end, but yes, it is pronounced with a U. But if I, if you were reading it and I wrote this down and I, instead of writing Oregon with the O at the end, I actually wrote it with a U. Does it change the fact that I live in Oregon? No, of course not. But as we're talking about variants and what people would compare in these manuscripts, they would count that as an error or call that a variant between the manuscripts. So there's lots of these types of things, and there's exactly zero of them that result in something being untrue or in any way contradicting an essential doctrine or teaching. And I think that's real cool. I think that's really cool. So I'm not trying to belabor this too much, but because the Bible I'm going to just die on this battlefield here, (laughs) that it is the authority of us. It is the boss of us. This is an issue that's often put on trial. And so I just, I don't think we can leave this alone. And I think we need to dig into that. Often when those doubts and those people that kind of come and attack scripture itself and say, yo, it's just really just an old book written by a bunch of guys expressing God in their religious tradition as they understood that. I've actually heard someone say that. That is just not intellectually honest at all. You got to do the homework. I won't go any further on on those pieces, but it's really astounding evidence we have for the actual Bible that we hold as being accurate, inerrant, as they would call it. So how about inspired? This is the biggest one to me, because we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Inspiration in this phrase right there, it says it says in that particular translation, breathed out. What does that look like? I don't really know. <laughs> but we hear here in 2 Timothy is that the word of God breathed it, inspired, or depend, depending on your translation, it uses both. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's weighty. And just that within itself gives me pause and reverence towards scripture. It is God-breathed, literally his words that are breathed out and carried along by the Holy Spirit. God used man, but they were his words. Let's also look at what we mean by scripture, because this is something that people bat around a little bit too. So when it says all scripture is God breathed, what were the New Testament authors and the people that lived in that day? What were they referring to as scripture? And you got to be careful and watch out for people that try to kind of dice up God's word here. You'll hear people say things like, well, I'm a New Testament only kind of person, or I'm good with the words of Jesus, but you know, I just follow Jesus. Or I just follow Jesus and not Paul, like they specifically take Paul out. Yeah, no, be real careful of that. And I hate to be overly simplistic, but it did say all. All is a pretty simple word, but all. So if you want to discount the Old Testament or the words of Paul as not being scripture, you're going to be in real sketchy territory here. I'll give you a couple scriptures to back that up here in just a second. Scripture there in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word that it's used there is a word that they always use throughout the New Testament to refer to the Old Testament. This is consistent throughout all of the New Testament. The scriptures that the New Testament writers were reading and studying and referencing was, in fact, the Old Testament. So, if we're going to talk about all scripture that's God breathed, that means that means the Old Testament, guys. We can't just discount the Old Testament and say, oh, that's just not for today. 
Jesus, he often refers to the Old Testament as the word of God in the Gospels. And he'll say things like God said, and then he, you know, he quotes something quoting the Old Testament. He does that in uh, Mark 7, 8 through 13, when he's rebuking the Pharisees for leaving the commandment of God. So Jesus considered the Old Testament the word of God's scripture. So there we go. We've got the Old Testament for sure. Jesus also models for us the authority that Scripture has as he uses the Old Testament when he's responding to Satan, when he's tempted in the wilderness. And it's in Matthew 4, 4, where he's very specific even about this. And I love this. It says, he answered to Satan, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word. I love the totality of the language that's used here. All Scripture every word. It's not leaving a whole lot of room for question here. So the Old Testament is part of all scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3.16. What about the New Testament writing? Jesus speaks to this as well when he is instructing his disciples about the Holy Spirit. You see in John 14.26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I love that one. How about John 16, 13? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. These are passages where we see Jesus like talking about the spirit that's coming and the role that the Holy Spirit would play. And he says one of these things is he says that he's going to bring his words to remembrance, Jesus's words. And you think, well, well, why would they need that? Well, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the recording of the gospels for sure. But then also, too, he will speak and declare the things that are come and are to come and to guide them into all truth, it says. So again, the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and teaching them and understanding this helps us to then understand what Peter and Paul spoke concerning the words of the apostles, which give us the rest of the New Testament. Peter addresses the words and the teachings of the apostles. When he talks about in 2 Peter 3, 2, he says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The commandment of your Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we're talking about the New Testament writings now. And then Paul also, he echoes this in 1 Corinthians 14, when he says that if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing, meaning Paul, I, Paul, am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Real strong words from Paul here. Paul wrote at least 13 books in the New Testament, major contributor to the New Testament. He's also the author where we find several of the hot button topics that we're going to cover in this series. And there's lots of ladies that are not big fans of Paul. This is usually where the arguments of, I just follow Jesus. I actually heard a guy on, I watched a video or something, and the guy said, I follow Jesus and I tolerate Paul. Wow. Okay. No, you can't do that. That just doesn't work. All scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy. But maybe you're thinking, well, 2 Timothy, Paul was writing that. Isn't that self-serving to say that, for Paul to say all Scripture is God-breathed? And again, no, because who really authored 2 Timothy? Well, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture. It's God-breathed that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, which, again, not to get into the doctrine of the Trinity here, but God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father— the three and one that that makes our brains can't even quite make sense of that, but it just is. So that Holy Spirit is giving the words of God to be penned by the apostles, and that includes Paul. 
I think Peter understood some of the tension and controversy that Paul's books were stirring up. And there's all kinds of things Paul talks about, not just things related to some of the ones we're going to get into, but things with uh, church discipline. But he also talks about submission and he talks about roles of women in the church and the structure and the order of the church and all of these things. So a lot of people had some, they weren't so sure about what Paul said. But I like how Peter really clears this up because it's in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 18, Peter says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So lots of things Peter's doing here, but this is really cool here. He's he's first of all saying that Paul's words are scriptures because he says as they do other scriptures. And he kind of has a little bit of a jab in there for us if if we're struggling with the words of Paul. He says that the people that distort Paul's words are ignorant and unstable, and they twist to their own destruction. Yeah, that's that's kind of a, a sharp word there. So, but Paul's words are scripture. New Testament, Old Testament, all scripture is God-breathed. And it tells us what scripture is used for. God-breathed, it says it's God-breathed, useful or profitable, depending on your translation, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, all of it. Now, sometimes folks will raise questions about the canon of Scripture or why the 66 books we have are considered the Scriptures and why other books were omitted, perhaps. And it's a good study. You can dig it into it if you want. I'm I'm not going to expound on that too much. But just like the work done regarding the inerrancy of Scripture and the reliability of the, of the actual text that we have, it's really amazing evidence. And you can go back and read early church fathers, people that knew John the Apostle personally and as they look at the things that were wrote that was established very early on, and there was a very consistent understanding of what the scriptures were. So the canon, that's a whole separate study, but don't let somebody poke at you on that either and go, well, you know, we really, you can't really trust the the actual books that we have. I know this, it gets, this is a little bit academic, and I know it's a little bit of work. But sadly, almost, I want to say we've just kind of gotten a little lazy in some of the these things and in our understanding of some of this. And it really, really does matter. While normally I wouldn't hold someone saying that, man, you really need to understand that the manuscript that you hold is reliable and all of that stuff. If you're somebody that you're like me and you're like, man, I'm just good. If, if the Bible says it, I'm down with that. But it does help to understand maybe some of this, a little bit more of the the research and the evidence you don't have to have a PhD in this. You can just be a learner, just like me, just do a little bit of reading on it. And it does help because unfortunately, there are going to be teachers and churches and places that you may come in contact, coworkers and family members, that they're probably going to throw a few of these jabs out there. And we're spending this entire episode talking about the authority of Scripture. And they're going to try to pull that rug out from under you and say, well, this can't really have the authority over you because of, and, you know, fill in the blank. So what I, I encourage you to do is have some some good understanding of these things so that you, so that you you have an answer as to why the Bible should have total authority over all the things we're going to talk about, your identity, our function, our roles in the family and churches. I think given that it's it's fair to at least have a Cliff Notes version of the massive evidence that can be found on, on some of this stuff. 
as I said, I come to this one first because the authority of Scripture is usually the first one to be put on the chopping block when we read something that we don't really like. Again, remember part one. What's the why? If you hear something that you don't like, why? Why don't you like it? Why does it offend you? Peel that back and, and figure out what's underneath that. You can firmly stand on the inerrancy and the inspiration of God's word to you and to me. When some of this gets maybe hard to understand, you're like, you know, I don't know. Maybe you want to be like, I don't want to know any of this scholarly stuff. I'm just going to go ahead and believe the Bible. I'm good. I love what Romans says about that. Romans 11, 33 through 34, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And he echoes this in 1 Corinthians 2.16. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is sort of like when I was talking about last week of I just am good if I just don't get stuff. I'm really fine with the understanding that my brain is finite. Because when you when you go back and forth with this stuff, it's it comes to the fact, are you going to say, am I going to say, am I smarter than God? 1 Corinthians there, it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Do I really want to say that I know better? Because really, that's what this comes down to. Either I will acknowledge that the God who is good, who created me and you and all mankind, whose judgments are unsearchable, as it said in Romans, that that God who has provided his inspired and inerrant word to us, who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Am I going to instruct God on who I am, what I can do, what I cannot do? I mean, I know that sounds silly, but really, that's kind of what we do when we push back against some things of Scripture and we say, well, we'll come up with our reasons and we'll kind of tackle some of those those excuses that that pop up. But when you peel that all back, are we really going to instruct God and say, no, I know better about who I am, what I am, what I was designed to do and be? I don't think I'm going to do that. In Jeremiah 36, I told you guys that I put the link to Pastor Brett's sermon on, on Jeremiah 36. And in that, it's where Jeremiah has, he and Baruch have written down all the words of the Lord that the Lord had given him. And he, and he goes to the king and he is reading them before the king. And he, it's not very well received. And you can, you can find the whole story in Jeremiah 36, but I just want to read you verse 30 and 31, because I think you need to hear kind of what, what happens with this dude. So the words of the Lord are read to the king. He doesn't like what he has to hear. Not at all. So in Jeremiah 36, it tells the whole story. But after he hears this, it talks about that the king takes the scroll and he burns it. He gets rid of it. And so then listen to what it says. This is what happens to that guy, the guy who didn't want to have anything to do with what the words of the Lord were. And in verse 30 of 36, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. Verse 31, And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. It's a strong word. Here they were receiving a word of what was going to happen, the words of the Lord. But Jehoiakim, he didn't want to hear this. He didn't like this word. And we get to be that same way. We don't like this. So maybe we don't actually take our Bibles and throw them in the fire, although I've heard stories of that too. But we kind of kind of slice and dice it a little bit. Maybe we want to say we'll take this section, but we won't take that. 
it's not for us. That's where I want us to come down to this realizing who is the boss of us and that the scripture has authority. It's not for us to evaluate ourselves and see which part works for us. The word in Jeremiah 23, 29, he says it's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The word is not something to be trifled with. I think back to that verse we read earlier about in Isaiah where it says we tremble at it. What's shocking is that the majority of even clergy across Episcopalians, Presbyterians, even some Baptists, some surveys that have been done, they don't believe that the Word of God is the inerrant Word of God. They've bought this nonsense that says that, well, there's just been errors over time. They're not being honest with the studies that have been done and what we know about the inerrancy of Scripture, much less going to the inspiration of Scripture. I mean, the inerrancy, I think that's a, it's a great study to do because we, yes, the Word of God is perfect exactly as it's written. Just as Jesus said, every word is God-breathed is Scripture. But do you really want to trifle with the inspiration of Scripture that God gave this Word? And it's really with all of these different churches and different denominations, even having a very shallow view and not an authoritative view of the word. Is it any wonder why we as a people are faltering and failing when we just we don't have a standard for what our authority should be? God's word. I love Proverbs 30 verse five. It says every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. As we wrap this up, first of all, good job. You hung with me. That was a lot. I get it. But it's so important that we start here in these conversations. You know, next week, we're going to look into gender roles a little bit and what's happened culturally as we kind of see the death of masculinity and femininity. And if you're on the fence about whether God's word is your boss or not, whether or not it's the absolute authority, then you're really going to struggle with the rest of the series. You're going to struggle with some of these questions because you're going to want to come back to what you've reasoned and or maybe what you've heard. But I take great comfort that even as we discuss some tough things in this, it's the really fantastic things that the Lord has for us. Isaiah 55, 11 says, it's talking about your word and it says, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That is my prayer for us through this. And it's a promise of the word right here. He says, it's not going to return return void, and it will accomplish that which he purposes. I am praying for us that we will have confidence that his word is going to accomplish exactly what he has purposed, that it is the authority for us, that what God's word says, man, that's what goes. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to wonder and reason and try to determine some, you know, logic or new information that we only have now in 2022. We can rely on and confidently say that God's word is inerrant, it's infallible, and it's the inspired word of God. I'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.